0: Love, talk, radio. Welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. This is Robert Rogers. Last week, I interviewed Deborah Russell, who will be my co-host at our Jump Start to Wellness program, which will be held on November 30th and December 1st the only jumpstart to uh, wellness program that we're going to actually sponsor for 2009. Deborah said to me after she went through the agonizing process of answering all of my questions, why don't you be interviewed, Robert? And I thought to myself, hmm, why would that be necessary? And she explained people would really want to know more about you, especially those who are attending Jumpstart to Wellness and coming from all portions of the United States and Canada. I realized she's right, so the program today is going to be very unusual. The program today is going to be me interviewing myself. What I'm going to do is to tell the story of where I have come and why I have wound up in my life in Olympia, Washington, doing the work of Parkinson's recovery. I'm not going to be talking specifically about the types of things that individuals can do who have the symptoms of Parkinson's to get relief or to feel better. That's typically the focus of each of my radio programs. Rather, today... I'm going to really talk about the origins of Parkinson's recovery, who I am, where I came from, and what has been my personal transformation. I want to encourage everyone who's going to attend Jump to Wellness to listen to my program today, really, so you can get to know more about me as your host in most programs, what typically happens is you arrive, and at the designated hour, our hour will be 9 o'clock on Monday morning, the presenter, in this case myself and Deborah, will stand up, and we will give you a long explanation of our qualifications and why you need to listen to us. And then we'll power up our PowerPoint presentations, and we'll begin to load you with lots And lots of information. That's not what's going to happen at Jumpstart to Wellness. That's not the design. We are very different in our approach. Our role is to facilitate you and your own recovery for those of you who are attending Jumpstart to Wellness. In other words, my job is to help you. My job is not to waste your time talking about myself. Now, that's what I'm going to do today. So, if you're curious about who I am, where I've come from, what my background is, what my education is, what my ideas are, this is really the program I want to encourage you to listen to. If you're really listening to all of my programs for ideas on tips on how to get better, this is not a good program to listen to quite frankly because that's not what I'm going to be talking about. The good news I do have for you is that I'm putting the finishing touches on my new book Road to Recovery and I want to say it's stunning. I've got some incredible information for people, really up-to-date information about all the kinds of things people report to me that are helping them feel better and get relief from their symptoms. So you'll be able to get a a huge influx of great, refreshing new information uh, just here in the next week or two from my new book, Road to Recovery. So let me start now with just giving you a, a brief explanation of where I've come from I really lived all over the United States, including Puerto Rico. I was born in Washington, D.C. in nineteen forty six. My father was in the military at the time as a major. We then moved to Schenectady, New York, which is the home of General Electric, and I spent uh, my childhood years up until the age of seven years old in Schenectady. Growing up, my father was a patent attorney for General Electric. Uh, my father decided that it was time to move south. His mother and father were from Greenwood, South Carolina, so. We packed up the family, they sold their house in Schenectady, and we moved to Griffin, Georgia, which is uh, very near Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, My father had an appointment for a year to work as a patent attorney for a firm in Griffin, Georgia. And so I spent my first grade years in uh, Griffin, Georgia. We then moved to Atlanta, where my father uh, developed his patent uh, practice, and uh, I basically grew up until I graduated from high school. My idea when I was in high school was to become president of the United States, and that's all I could think about. I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life, and so I really made every effort to stay clean. I didn't get into trouble. I studied. I tried to do the best I could to make good grades because I was dedicated to be able to establish this kind of record that uh, the public would uh, so admire uh, that they would want to vote for me. I then applied for and was accepted to Vanderbilt University. For those of you that are not from the South, you may not have heard of this uh, school, but in the South, it's known to be uh, one of the best, if not the best universities around. So I attended Vanderbilt University for four years. Uh, This was during the Vietnam War, and uh, so I stayed in school because uh, that gave me an exemption from having to be drafted into the military. I applied for, because there really wasn't any other alternative other than going into the Army, the uh, uh, Navy Officers Candidate Program. And uh, the miracle was I was accepted into that program despite my poor military bearing. And I went to the Officer Candidate Training School in Newport, Rhode Island uh, to basically train as a, a Navy officer. I must uh, tell everyone that uh, I struggled with my military-bearing performance. I failed uh, two straight months uh, with that score. If I'd failed a a third month in a row, they would have kicked me out of uh, officer candidate school. But uh, thankfully, on the third month, I made just barely a passing score. Uh, I learned how to salute uh, the officer in charge of my company uh, more smartly. Uh, I uh, learned how not to laugh out loud at what I thought was really ridiculous and funny, and uh, I finally was able to graduate after that uh, five-month training program. Uh, They were smart enough not to send me on a ship because of my poor military bearing, so I went to a land station, which was a delightful assignment for me, to Puerto Rico. And I spent there uh, for two and a half or three years with a a delightful set of assignments involving a personnel officer. I was in charge of an ammunition facility on an island called Villegas Island. And then I also uh, was involved in an intercultural relations uh, program, developing a new program for the Navy in my third year. I applied for and was accepted to uh, Cornell University into their master's of public administration program. And that fall, I actually began my uh, master's program in Ithaca, New York. I, at the time, also met uh, my wife, Nanette, and uh, we were actually married only after having known each other about six or seven months in December of 1972. I graduated uh, from uh, Cornell with my degree And uh, after that, I had some soul searching about what the next step was for me. I served as a county administrator in Southampton uh, County for a year and a half and uh, had the opportunity to be the town manager of Schenke-Tig, uh which is just on the coast of the uh, eastern shore in Virginia. Uh, I turned that down and decided what I really wanted to do was to write. I loved to write, and I thought the way to do that would be to get a Ph.D. and become a professor. At that point, then, I turned down that offer uh, to be the town manager of Chincoteague, and I applied to Ph.D. programs and was accepted uh, to a Ph.D. program in labor and industrial relations at Michigan State University. So that's where uh, Nanette and I uh, then uh, went uh, with our new child, uh, Adrian, who had just been born, and uh, I started my Ph.D. program, which actually uh, uh, took about four and a half years. What really happened in my program was uh, I met a a mentor there by the name of uh, Jack uh, Hunter, a a very well-known professor, especially in the uh, field of psychology, who was working on something called meta-analysis, which basically looks at the cumulative effect of all research that is done to address a specific question. I was uh, mesmerized by Jack's work, and so I collaborated with him on learning more about how this particular new mathematical approach can be actually implemented in areas like the health sciences as well as management. So I uh, developed some uh, articles and was able to get them accepted, uh, although the technology was uh, very new at the time. I then decided that it was time to uh, be a professor and uh, apply to various programs and was uh, uh, lucky enough actually to get an appointment as an assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, I, we served there for about five or six years. Uh, I enjoyed that work, I won teaching awards, um, uh, my research finally began to uh, come into place and then uh, we decided well it was time to move on especially because tenure was an issue and I wasn't sure about the outcome of my tenure case so uh, I applied and uh, was accepted uh, as a uh, associate professor, which is the next level up in academic life at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, and they actually also uh, offered me tenure there in my very first semester. So I thought that was a t- deal too good to turn down. That was a deal of a lifetime. So uh, we all moved the family. At that time, we had a, a second child, Jonathan, who had been born in Michigan, and so all four of us uh, moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where... Uh, We hung out and I worked as a professor for a period of about 13 or 14 years. What really happened was I uh, I assumed that I would continue to be a professor for the rest of my life. It was my dream job at the University of Kentucky. Uh, The program was only a graduate program. Uh, My classes were extremely small. Uh, They ranged from five in number to about uh, 20 or 30. Those were the largest classes. Because I did so much research, uh, I really sometimes only taught uh, one course a semester uh, or sometimes only two courses a year. So the teaching assignment uh, was very, very light. I had many, many uh, Ph.D. students who I helped be able to uh, learn how to do research, uh, particularly quantitative research, uh, and uh, get assignments at universities across the country. So, basically, I had the dream job of my life, and I really thought that that's what I would be doing for the rest of my life, though I had some questions and some concerns about the nature of how science actually worked. I was frustrated by how long it took to actually publish anything. One of the uh, pieces that I worked on uh, was uh, to evaluate uh, management programs using this technology I just told you about. It took me eight years to get this particular uh, study published in what re- really was an outstanding uh, journal. But I thought to myself, that's a long time to be able to get news out to people. I also was frustrated by the constraints on academic research. I really thought that uh, if I had a PhD, I'd be able to be creative. I'd be able to do what I really wanted to do for myself in my life. And that's, of course, uh, for those of you that are uh, familiar with academic life, not True. The fact is that uh, to be able to survive an academic life, there are very strict rules about how, do, how you have to write up your studies, what you have to document, how you have to approach any particular question to be able to get it defended through the referee process. The restrictions were severe. To be able to actually ask a question that could be published wound up narrowing down the interest of the question to such a small scope that it became literally uninteresting. Uh, I could see what studies I could publish uh, r- relatively easily, but though it might take me three or four or five or even eight years. But the fact is that you, would, you could see the answer. To the question, and so it was as if I was proving the obvious, and I thought, why am I spending all of this time with uh, working on proving the obvious? It, it, I, 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 at that time, was in my 50s, and I thought, I don't, I don't have another 500 years left of living to be able to make a true contribution to the world, and so what am I really doing with my life? Uh, I had uh, published a great deal. I was, at the time, a full professor. I was tenured. I uh, worked uh, primarily with Ph.D. students. I had delightful colleagues. It was a wonderful assignment. I loved my job in one sense, but in another sense, uh, this particular work was um, draining my energy. I found I was tired quite a bit. I was fatigued. I was frustrated. I was depressed. There was something wrong. My wife at the time uh, was telling me, I think you need to begin thinking about something else you need to start doing with your life. And I kept saying, but wait a minute. This is what I always wanted to do. I've worked very hard for this years and years and years of education. I've got just the appointment I want. I can do whatever research I want. So you can just hear the stream of rationale that I would give for why I decided I needed to do anything that I uh, uh, really said that I wanted to do. Now, something happened in my life that wound up being a true transformational experience at this point in my life. So in essence, if you can get a flavor for what I just described to you, here I am, it looks like, uh, in a great position. I'm a professor. People are calling me doctor all the time. I have all this deference that's given to me. Uh, I have a job for life. I have a good salary. I'm able to take care of my family, blah, 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 blah. So it looks like everything is great. All I have to do is to continue doing what I'm doing and everything will be hunky dory. Something did happen and what I'm going to do is take a brief break here and at the end of my break I'm going to tell you what did happen to me. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and you are listening to an interview that I am having with myself. We return now to the second segment of my own interview. What happened to me in 1999 was that my wife, Nanette, died suddenly. Nanette had a rare genetic condition known as Marfan's syndrome, We lived every day with the fear that her aorta might dissect, which is a life-threatening condition. One morning uh, when we were in church, she had uh, significant pain in her back. We immediately went to the emergency room. It was diagnosed as a dissecting aorta. She was in surgery several hours later, and uh, although the hope was that she'd be able to recover Uh, the surgery did not take, and she died two days later in the uh, intensive care unit. I really lost the love of my life, Uh, the woman who was uh, keeping me centered and here on the earth. As far as I was concerned, I would have much uh, preferred that I be the one to go than her, but she was the one who left and left me alone. I literally fell apart. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. And I uh, told my uh, uh, chairman, uh, chairwoman of my department, that I was not be able to uh, return to uh, teaching at the time. Uh, she was quite wonderful and was able to find a way for me to basically take a sabbatical for as long as I needed. So I did not return uh, to the university uh, at the time. And I began to search for ways to be able to help myself through the challenge that I was facing. What I wound up doing is calling up a a phone number that I found on the back of a book written by Barbara Brennan and learning uh, that they didn't have a a workshop for people who needed healing, but they did have a school, a school of healing that lasted four years. I thought that was rather outrageous and not something that I needed to do, but I needed to go somewhere to be able to help myself through the trauma that I had just experienced. And so I signed up for the whole first year of this healing experience to attend this healing school called the Barbara Brennan School of Healing, which uh, lasted a week for five times uh, that year. Uh, the first uh, particular session that I attended, uh, as I drove up, I really didn't know if there would be 20 people in attendance or 30 or 40. Uh, I didn't have a clue really who this person was. I actually didn't even know if this was something legitimate to do. All I really knew was this was something that I needed to do for myself, and I was hoping I'd be able to find some answers. When I arrived, to my surprise, there this was in New York at the time, there were about 700 people who were there. And uh, they were all also on their own healing journey. That was a true shock to me. And what I discovered, really, just even from the very first week of uh, the uh, experience was that this was going to help me. I was able to realize that uh, my issues uh, rested way back in my childhood, that I had experienced significant trauma, that I had uh, issues of abandonment, and I had issues of not uh, feeling as though I was enough. And this was going to be a good place doing this particular program for me to be able to literally wash through these issues that had been with me ever since I had been a child. Believe me, I have never in my life asked for help. I'd always done everything myself. Uh, I'd never been a particular team player, and so this was a very, very new experience for me to actually subject myself uh, to being able to being uh, held and taken care of by other uh, very wonderful people. Now, at the very first uh, class, uh, this was only a few months after Nanette uh, had died, they basically announced that uh, one of my assignments as a student was to be able to find uh, clients who uh, I could practice on. Of course, I wouldn't be charging any money for this, but this was a way to practice my skills. Now, I have to tell everybody, I couldn't imagine how I would be able to accomplish this. I mean, I couldn't. Certainly, my children would not allow me to touch them, and I didn't know any friends. This was uh, kind of uh, far-out work. And that it was uh, energy healing at the time. Very similar today, uh, what you know to be Reiki or healing touch. Uh, She had her own approach for how she actually approached all of this. And so the reality is when they said you have to find your own clients, I didn't have a clue how I could go about doing that. But I wanted to continue the program because I could see this was helping me clear out some of the trauma that was stored in the tissues of my body. I knew it was helping And I was able to actually cry, and I was actually able to feel some feelings that I really hadn't felt for many, many years since I was a very young child. So I knew it was helping, and I thought if I have to get clients, I'll figure out a way. One of the conditions of the program was that you had to have a counselor because, uh, obviously, when you're going through this experience, it raises all sorts of feelings and uh, issues that need to be dealt with. I found a counselor, and one of the uh, uh, disclosures I gave to the counselor was I didn't know of any clients that I could actually ask uh, to practice on. She then uh, had friends, and she referred people to me. And so that's how I basically got started with practicing the work of energy healing on people. Um, I ultimately had to, of course, return to the university and my university uh, position. And uh, so I was doing that as well as going through my uh, healing work here through the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. I, uh, after the first year, to my surprise, I decided this is helping so much. I think I'll, I'll stay in there and I'll go a second year. And then I decided I would continue for a third and a fourth year and uh, wound up actually graduating from this particular experience. What also happened is... Uh as one client came, more and more people began to call me up and they asked for help. Now, I can't explain why that was happening. I don't know exactly what I was doing. All I know is that the phone was uh, ringing off the hook with people that I, I didn't know I'd never met who basically said, I heard about what you're doing. I'd like to make an appointment with you. How much does it cost? And I would say, well, wait a minute. I, I'm really a professor. I'm, I'm, um, I'm just doing this uh, for my own healing. Uh, it's free. I'm just practicing this work and really uh, working on my own issues. So the reality was I realized, well, wait a minute. It looks like uh, there's a lot of interest in what I am doing, and apparently whatever I am doing is helping people. So that began to shift a lot of my thinking about how I needed to spend my life and what I needed to do for myself. Now, one of the other realizations as I went through a lot of personal processing is that a lot of the decisions that I had made in my life – were driven by an underlying feeling that I was not enough, that I was actually defective in some way. And so a lot of the decisions that I had made were to be able to prove to myself that I was enough, that I was all that I needed to be. So if you'll go back to the early part of the discussion, if you were able to hear it, I reported to you that I went into, I actually attended an Ivy League school, which was Cornell. Now, again, that decision was... I needed to prove to myself that I was good enough, and so I'm going to go to a fancy-smancy school, and that'll, that'll be evidence that, yes, I'm a smart person. I did the same thing when I went to Vanderbilt. That's also an excellent school. I did the same thing when I went to uh, Michigan State, which is a Big Ten school. I'm going all over the country, and each time I'm doing the very same thing. I'm trying to prove to myself that I'm actually enough, that I'm all that I need to be. So what do you do to be able to prove that to yourself? Well, how about you'll earn a Ph.D., which is, of course, what I did. I still wasn't able to convince myself I was all that I needed to be, so I had to go to an assignment as a professor at a, a, a very fancy school, which winds up being University of Texas at Austin. For those of you that don't know, that's the huge flagship school of Texas. It's got about forty-five, fifty-five thousand 55,000 students. I mean, it's a, it's a big-time kind of deal. And so with all the decisions that I'm making, it's always to try to convince myself that I am all that I need to be. Now, did I realize that at, at 1999 when uh, my wife Nana had actually died? The answer is no, I really didn't know what was going on other than there was a profound feeling of emptiness. And I was uh, driven to write. I was driven to do research to somehow prove to myself that, again, I was all that I needed to be. The actual work that I was doing in this particular healing school was very conducive to being able to help me heal that very, very deep and profound wound that lay deep inside me. Over the course of this uh, four-year program, while I was still a professor at the University of Kentucky, I also uh, pursued many, many different alternative therapies. So when you read what I write and I interview people about the various kinds of things that they've done, my honest confession to you is I've actually experienced doing most of what I talk about and write about in my books as a client, as a patient. But I've done all of this. And this only started in 1999. I really had not even received a massage. I hadn't done anything for myself other than to work, work, and prove to myself that I was enough. The minute Nanette died, the minute that I lost my anchor in life, literally everything fell apart. And I had to reinvent who I was and to get to know myself better, to understand what it was that truly gave me joy and energy and pleasure as a human being. So there was, I don't know how else to explain it, Uh, there was a huge experimentation that I launched into one therapy after another. I would hear about a particular therapy and it didn't matter how outrageous it sounded, I was willing to try it to see if it actually was going to help me be able to release some of this tension and trauma that I actually held and experienced in my body. And I also must say that I really found that all of what I did helped some. Every, every experience I had was helpful in being able to help me come back to my center, help me come back to full balance. And uh, so there was nothing that I actually pursued that wound up being harmful to me in any way. There were a few things that were much more helpful than others. But overall, I didn't regret anything that I actually did. Another commitment that I made was to actually go to something called a Pathwork Center, which was uh, located at Seven Oaks in Virginia. So I had to travel by car eight miles for a weekend every month. I did this three years, and this is a basically work that's very intensive process work where you're working with about uh, 10 or 12 other individuals very intensely where we're all working on our own issues, where we're bringing up things that are bothering us. And then with the help of a facilitator, uh, Pathwork helper, they call them, and then other members of the group were able to work through what may be blocking us from moving forward in our life. And that work also was transformational. I had a Pathwork uh, helper, Mary Stokes, who was uh, particularly uh, meaningful to me in, in helping me work through some of my blocks, Some of the reasons why I was stuck and not being able to move forward, some of my fears, some of my worries, some of my anxieties, is to literally release those so that I could literally get on with my life and uh, realize that uh, I still had time here on this earth uh, to do what I really needed to do and to accomplish why I was here. Nanette's time was done. Mine, as it turned out, was not. And I needed to stay stay around and hang around because I had two children and I wanted to always be of support to them as well. So the transformation, I want to say, was um deep, it was profound. I had never experienced any of this work in my life before. I also noticed a couple of other things that began happening that were actually quite exciting. One is that I'd had uh, some medical problems, nothing serious, but uh, a prostate kind of a thing that tended to be enlarged. And there was some concern, uh, some uh, significant hearing difficulties and uh, some difficulty with a a diabetic kind of a, a challenge. And as I began to do the uh, own personal work for myself, all of those problems literally dissolved. Uh, I still have a a bit of a hearing impediment, but I've had that since I was a very young child. My hearing continues to improve. No prostate problems. Uh, My energy level is about as strong and as as, uh, aggressive and intense as uh, it is for a youngster as a child. Uh, I don't have these bouts of depression that I used to have. So all of the medical problems have actually resolved. I'm now uh, healthy. I do not have Parkinson's, for those of you who are wondering. I don't have the symptoms of Parkinson's. And uh, the other wonderful result of this personal processing work that I uh, began doing in uh, 1999 is I began to look younger. And that was totally exciting. Um, I had actually visited Lexington uh, here in the last couple of years, and I happened to run into a student that I had 10 years ago. And the student said, oh, I saw you sitting over there uh, at the table. And, of course, he he said, Dr. Rogers, something that I don't like to be called now. But he said, yeah, I saw you. I was wondering if that was you, Dr. Rogers. And I said, yeah, yeah, it was me. He said, you know, I didn't recognize you because now you look so much younger. <laughs> I thought, whoa, that's pretty cool. I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah, I can't believe it. Um, you know, I really thought of you as, as so old when I uh, took your class. And, again, this was 10 years ago. But now, I mean, I I really hardly recognize you. You look so young. So it became apparent to me that what I was feeling was being expressed in my physical presence, that instead of looking like an old man, I was looking uh, really like a very young person who was vibrant and vital and really had something uh, to offer to the world. So that uh, testimonial in itself was uh, a wonderful support and an affirmation for a lot of this what I want to describe as a personal processing work that I had uh, pursued. Now, over the course of attending this particular healing school, uh, which at the time was transferred uh, to Florida, I was again going. Uh, five times a year for one week, I was able to uh, luckily get uh, some of my already graduated Ph.D. students to take some of my classes, and I was able to keep up with my other work at the university. I met Deborah Russell uh, during my first year and uh, that is actually where the origins of our relationship lie. She was also at the healing school and uh, Deborah has incredible healing abilities. Uh, She's really in many ways my mentor in terms of learning how to help people be able to heal uh, from all types of imbalances and illnesses. That's where our relationship uh, originated and grew and flourished. And at the end of our program, uh, I decided that uh, I made actually a very, for me, stunning decision. My decision was to quit my job as a full-tenured professor at the University of Kentucky. This is not retiring, I want to be clear. I mean, I wasn't old enough to, per se, retire. I basically just went into the department chair and said, I am quitting, effective, the end of this academic year. I just literally quit and i decided i needed to have a new life i needed to be able to do things differently i needed to move out of lexington partly because that's uh, where my family and i and uh, and uh, nan ed had uh, lived for about 14 or 15 years and i needed to launch a, a new way of thinking and being and doing and living and working and so i left Lexington, Kentucky after resigning from my job, and I got into my car and traveled across the country to arrive in Olympia, Washington, where Deborah and I purchased uh, our house here in Olympia where we now live, and uh, as you know now, we've been here now for six years um, doing uh, the work that we've been doing, Uh, so it's been quite an incredible personal transformation for me over this period of time. uh, It's been uh, a true growth period. And I do uh, believe that if I had not stopped, if Nanette had not died, if I had not stopped and begun to consider who I really was and what were my wounds and how could I go about healing those, I would probably be very seriously ill today. Uh, But as it turns out, I was able to turn all of that around and forge for myself a a new life uh, together with Deborah here in Olympia, Washington. So I'm going to take a, a brief pause here to allow myself to tell you who I am and what we're doing here on our live program, and I'll be back. And in the next segment of my discussion, I want to talk much more extensively about where in the world the origins of Parkinson's recovery came from. So please stay tuned. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and you are listening to an interview with myself. Now on to Part 3. Where does my interest in Parkinson's reside? Why am I doing Parkinson's Recovery? What is this really all about? My mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and also my uncle was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. They have both since died. I'd like to first talk about my experience uh, with my mother. My mother went to the neurologist frequently, but she also had a number of other health care specialties that she uh, was attending to. Uh, She had issues with depression. She had taken a fall, and she had difficulty with uh, her back and had to have back surgery. And uh, she had issues with her blood pressure and other kinds of uh, uh, problems that were of concern to her. And she always went to a specialist to be able to get consultations and get medicines. I visited her about six months before she actually died. We didn't live in Atlanta at the time, which is where my mother uh, lived. And I vividly remember uh, that she was sitting in her chair, uh, and next to her chair was a table. And on top of this table was filled with medicine bottle after medicine bottle. I didn't actually count how many bottles were on the table, but I think uh, at least uh, 25 or 30 different bottles of uh, prescription medications of one type or another. And my mother believed in alternative medicines, but, of course, she also believed in uh, traditional uh, Western uh, medicines and uh, relied very heavily on the expertise of these specialists to be able to help her with her various uh, challenges. Now, when I visited her, she was slurring quite uh, seriously. Uh, It was, I, I decided, the effects of the medication And uh, as we talked uh, over that course of that visit, uh, she would pop pills. Literally, she would say, Oh, I think I need some vitamin E. She would open up the pill box and she would pop in a couple of vitamin E's. And I remember looking at her and said, Well, Mom, are you sure you need to just pop pills like that? And she said, Yeah, 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 I think it helps me. The more, the better. And so she was basically doing that with a lot of the different medications. So I can, again, vividly remember looking at her and saying, Mom, you're taking too many medications. I said, I don't know what you're taking. I don't know any of the specifics, but I do know it's the something is happening. These medications are interacting with each other and causing horrible side effects. You're slurring. I can barely understand what you're talking about. You're, I, you, I didn't say this to her, but it was clear her thinking had become convoluted and difficult uh, to uh, de- decipher. So I was... I was seriously alarmed and concerned, and when I left uh, my mom on that visit, which was the last time I actually saw her in person, I thought to myself, if she doesn't stop taking all of the pills, she's not going to live much longer. I got a call from my brother about six months later who said that, uh, that my mother had gone out for the morning newspaper. And uh, when she got to the end of the uh, the uh, walk, which was very long in the house that they lived, it was a cement uh, driveway. She fell and uh, had a stroke and basically started to claw her way. Uh, back to the garage. Uh my father was in the uh, stages of having uh, uh some difficulty with remembering and functioning and uh he was not up and wasn't aware what was actually happening and actually when he did get up he didn't he couldn't quite solve the problem. He didn't know that what he needed to do was to call 911. So my mother was out in the cold weather uh scratching her way back to the garage. Her her toes began to bleed very uh, seriously, her knees, her hands. Uh, She couldn't actually stand up. She was trying to get out of the cold. Um, They took her to the hospital, and at the hospital, uh, they revived her. uh, It was uh, quite a miracle. Uh, She was able to actually talk with the uh, physicians uh, for a short while, and then she went into a coma. And there she stayed. Uh, For two more months, she got infections, and then she died basically from the complications of her stroke. My mother didn't, per se, die from uh, Parkinson's. She had a number of symptoms that are typical of Parkinson's. Her gait was uh, uh, very uh, cumbersome and difficult and challenging. She walked in very short steps. Her handwriting was very difficult to decipher. Uh, Sometimes she was uh, difficult to actually hear. She had uh, severe bouts of depression. And, of course, on the other hand, uh, she was quite a miraculous uh, woman and uh, quite fun to be with. So, as it turned out, I was very affected by all of that. It was clear to me that uh, if you look at any one of the specialties that she actually went to, and I think she probably visited uh, at least seven or eight different uh, medical specialties. They were doing the best they could to help her with her particular condition. And, of course, what they weren't aware of was uh, all of the different medications that the other specialties uh, were prescribing for her, and, and they weren't aware that she was taking as many as uh, 15 or 20 different prescription medications, which is a formula for disaster. And, I mean, the fact is that, uh, as I now have learned from the research that I've done, uh, if a person is taking just two prescription medications, there's a possibility of a drug-drug interaction and a very good possibility of a drug uh, depletion. If they're taking five medications, there's a 100% chance that that's a problem. In other words, It's not just the effect of any one medicine taken independently. It's the effect of all these uh, medicines uh, taken together that uh, wind up uh, creating the problem. And you can't have research that will tell you what's going to happen because, first of all, nobody's combined those medications together for the most part. And even if they have they're gonna they're gonna actually combine together differently in different bodies. So the reality is there's just a huge danger when you begin to take too many of these prescription medications. They are um, they are manipulations of molecules in an artificial way, so you're putting an artificial substance into uh, basically what is a natural body. and so while obviously medications can be of great help to people, they can also create. Significant problems. Do I know uh, that my mother died from a stroke that was uh, really caused by a complication of all of these medications? Well, of course not. Nobody really knows that. But my intuition tells me that was what happened. She died at an early age, much earlier uh, than was uh, uh, the time when she needed to to really uh, die. And so that was upsetting to me, that that whole story, that experience of what happened to her was, oh, was truly awful. And uh, the story about my uncle is somewhat similar. Uh, Gordon uh, had been a legislator in the state of Wyoming. He had been a college uh, president, uh, a man who was uh, 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 brilliant in every respect, uh, knew uh, history up and down, that uh, he was a, a history Ph.D., he was a teacher. He was uh, a wonderful mentor to me and being able to help me see uh, how I could truly enjoy and relish uh, every moment of my life. Uh, uh, Gordon was diagnosed with Parkinson's. He also, of course, went down the standard route of uh, being medicated. He did quite well for a while, as is the case with many people. But then, uh, uh, as with my mother, he had to take more and more medications. Side effects got uh, greater. Symptoms got worse. He got to the point where he really couldn't talk. And so when we talk on the phone, he wouldn't say very much. Uh, uh, Betty, uh, his uh, wife, and, and my mother's sister, she would, uh, she would talk uh, for him. And so it was a very sad ending for a man who uh, was uh, quite, quite brilliant and capable. I decided there really had to be a different way. Now, the other thing that was happening to me was as I had moved to Olympia and Deborah and I uh, started our life together here, our new life together, and uh, I got to know her. our two children. Uh, my two children were adults, and uh, my daughter had moved to San Francisco, and uh, my son was still living in Lexington, Kentucky at the time, although now he's in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the fact is that uh, we were uh, beginning to, instead of uh, do uh, research work, I was doing the uh the hands-on healing work that I described, we got special certifications in something called cranial sacral work. So we we got training at a, a university called Bastir in uh, Seattle, and uh, both of us got uh, actually certified to do the cranial sacral. And so we were doing that work uh, for people here in Olympia, Washington. So my life was completely changed. I was doing sort of this uh, healing work, uh, which was very different from the life of a professor, where I was doing writing and uh, research. Now, what really happened as a, as a result of that doing that work was, although I, I did enjoy it and people were clearly benefiting from the work, I was uncomfortable with the fact that a person would come in uh, to see me And they would say, well, I have, and they would give the name of their uh, disease. And uh, for some of these, of course, I I would know something about them because I might have seen somebody or had some personal experience. But for other people, they would tell me the name of the uh, condition, and I wouldn't know if this was a problem of the big toe or the left ear or the top of the head. I mean, I literally didn't have a clue what what, uh, function of the body was was affected by this particular description. And I thought, this is not working. How can I really help anybody if I don't know a great deal about uh, what it is that's happening to their bodies? And so I had an underlying interest in being able to focus and being able to say, look, I need to be able to be an expert in something. I don't want to be one of these people who just kind of scatters all over the place and is really not that helpful uh, to people who have these various kinds of illnesses. At the time, uh, because of my interest in Parkinson's, I did uh, some writing about the, what I thought were the origins of Parkinson's. We put that up on our website, which uh, was at the time, and it still is, called a Zero Point Healers. Um, and this was just information for people. Uh, we, I chose Parkinson's, again, because it had been so profoundly a part of what, what happened to my family. We were then approached by a support group. In Portland, Oregon, who were dedicated uh, to approach healing in ways that did not involve medication at least initially, in other words they were they were interested in finding alternative uh, therapies outside the medical specialty of Western medicine that they could pursue to help them get relief from their symptoms. And since they saw what we were doing, and it was obviously something very different, uh, they wanted to know more about it. So they invited Deborah and I to come down to their support group meeting and talk about what we did and to see if there might be a possibility of uh, exploring uh, that particular therapy with them further. So we went down and we asked a a colleague who had also attended our school, and Egerton, to come with us. And uh, Aunt Egerton's uh, daughter actually came, and we did a little uh, uh, healing on her daughter there in front of the whole group. And uh, they were mesmerized by the work and asked us, asked us a lot of questions about, uh, well, will this help Parkinson's? And, of course, our answer was consistently, we don't have a clue. I mean, we don't know whether or not this would really help or not. But uh we're interested in exploring to see whether or not it, it will help. Are you interested? And uh, their answer was, well, sure, we'll be happy to participate in a study. So at that point, since I'm a researcher, I thought, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to just design a research study where we can systematically track the extent to which uh, this work might help or not help so i created the uh the instruments they they come from the standard parkinson's research literature so everything i used was a very standard instrument we got a video camera and we launched our study after preparing all of the release statements and all the other kinds of things you need to do uh, when you do research and started actually doing healing sessions on the 10 uh, subject volunteers in portland oregon uh uh, uh They lasted about 20 minutes, and we did those every two weeks for a period of uh, three months. And so we did basically only six treatments. So we took videos before we did the treatments, and then we took videos, and we did the assessment instruments at the end. You can see the results on the blog, on the Parkinson's Recovery blog. I got permission from some people to show their videos, before and after videos. Other people did not want those to be posted, so we did not. But in all cases, uh, what you see when you look at the before video and the after video was that there's there's an improvement. It's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Look, there's obviously a positive shift for this person. Well, I was really encouraged. And the actual research evidence uh, showed two things. One was a a slight improvement on just the modest work that we did. Uh, And, of course, remember the literature says there's supposed to be a decline. Well, that's not what we showed. We showed a a slight improvement, and we also showed huge variation. So some people, the shift was huge. I mean, they got a great deal better. Other people got just a little bit better. And so we were able to talk with people extensively about their backgrounds, their situations. They filled out health histories, and that's where I began thinking very seriously about the causes of what it was that was affecting the symptoms of Parkinson's. I realized after doing that very intensive work, and I I am deeply grateful to all of the people who volunteered to participate in that study because that's the source of many of my insights and revelations about what's really going on with this particular illness. I realized that while the energy healing work was obviously helpful and could be helpful to people, it was not the panacea. It wasn't the end all, that people were not going to get symptom-free or well from just this. There was a much bigger picture involved. That's then what encouraged me to say, okay, let me step back and say, what's really going on? What's the body saying? What can we do to help people actually get better? And I launched then back into the work that I truly love to do. I began to write. And what I realized was I had not uh, written a great deal over the past several years before I started writing how much I truly love to write it's um, it's a it's a joy. If I don't write regularly, I actually do get a little bit depressed. and so I can cure that by simply going back and starting to write again. I really just love it. It's a passion for me. It's why I'm here. And so when I began to write some about some of my discoveries, and I began to delve into the research literature, so I spent hours and hours at medical research libraries looking up articles on Parkinson's and reading them and understanding the extent to which uh, alternative therapies were helping people and documenting that and getting excited about doing the work that I had uh, had such extensive training on uh, to do. So. Suddenly I was back to really doing the work uh, that I'd been doing as a professor. But, of course, here I was just doing it as an individual. I had no affiliation with a university whatsoever. I was literally here out on my own And again, for me, this has been truly exciting because I uh, realized that I can also do research in a way that I think is the right way to do research, which is to actually contact individuals that have extensive experience with this particular condition. So talking with individuals that have the symptoms of Parkinson's and finding out from them what helps you feel better, that evidence is compelling, I want to say. The work, the research work that I had done previously was highly quantitative. So if anybody wants to look, you're welcome to. But I would do, I would crunch data sets that were into the hundreds of thousands. And um, so my skills had basically been very quantitative. Uh, I was a mathematical guru. I was doing uh, analyses that were just being invented. But the reality is that you you don't see very much, even when you crunch analyses of hundreds of thousands of subjects. What you really are able to learn from are extensive interviews with individuals who are experiencing this. And so I was totally excited when I began to interview people and document those interviews where we were able to say these are the kinds of things specifically that have helped this individual. I then actually transcribed those interviews into the whole series, the Pioneers of Recovery series, which now is available to people. And I thought, this is really the way research needs to be done. I mean, I have a small sample size of a few people that I've interviewed. But, boy, the revelations that you find contained in these interviews is worth gold. It's just absolutely incredible. So you can kind of sense My own energy even talking about the work has uh, elevated up about four or five notches from when I first started. It's like this is really exciting work for me. And, of course, to be able to start the radio program, which is now about seven or eight months old, was also exciting. It's always been a dream to be on the radio and uh, actually interview people. And so now we're actually able to do that, and we're able to save all of those recordings so that anybody can download those anytime for free. They'll always be available. So you can hear... Some of the foremost national experts, people who have dealt with Parkinson's extensively, people who know, doctors, medical doctors, naturopaths, homeopaths, people who have dealt with many, many different individuals who are telling their stories about what they would recommend you consider doing. This is absolutely amazing to discover to me. And it's amazing because it's a whole new way of thinking. There is a way to get well. There is a way to actually recover. And so to be able to document not only the fact that people are doing it, but also to provide a framework for everyone so that you can begin to challenge how it is that you've approached this challenge in your life now and how you can shift that and actually get well. That's exciting work for me. So as I got into actually doing the writing, developing uh, Parkinson's recovery as a whole venture, uh, doing all of the websites, the research websites, the symptom tracker, I hired a program to uh, actually program how people can track their symptoms across time. And, of course, that's up on the Internet. That's for free. Most of what I do is, is actually for free. Uh, and, and developing the blog where we have questions and answers and inviting people to write in their uh, questions. So that was a, a very valuable step for me because when people write in questions, I can then see what answers people want to have. I can do the research and I can figure out at least a, a preliminary response that I'm, I'm hoping will help people. All of that work, of course, has been folded into the forthcoming book that I'm coming out with, uh, The Road to Recovery. And that's a, a foundational work for the jumpstart to Wellness work uh, that we're doing on our live presentations uh, uh, that we've just started uh, here in uh, the end of this month, uh, November, November 30th, and December 1st. I'm going to take a short break here and come uh, back with a grand finale of where I'm at and where I'm going. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and you are listening to my interview with Robert Rogers of Parkinson's Recovery. The thinking that I had developed as a result of my work in the Parkinson's Energy Project, that is, that's the work with the subjects, uh, volunteers that we worked with in, in Portland, Oregon suggested that it was possible and it is possible to get significant relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. It is possible to feel better. And I also suspected it was possible to get completely well, that as I began working on the idea, yes, the body knows how to heal itself. It just needs a little remembering how to go about doing it. It just gets a little off balance, and these symptoms are signals to us about what changes we might need to make in our lifestyle, what we're eating, how we're exercising, what we're thinking about, to be able to come back into full balance. I must say to everyone, this was uh, back in uh, 2005, 2006, that uh, I really felt like I was all alone. Everyone that I talked to said the same thing. Well, Parkinson's is a progressive degenerative disease. You know, once you get it, you're going to get worse. There's just no way around it. And I kept thinking, and I started writing about the fact. Now, no, this is, I know this is not true. I, don't, I know from our evidence of our project that it's not true. People were getting better. I'd begun to look at some of the research evidence on alternative therapies, and I could see, wait a minute, there's a lot of evidence out there where people are trying alternative therapies and their symptoms are improving. They are getting better. I was able to see that even in the drug studies, about 10% of the people did not get worse. They didn't get better, but they didn't get worse. So I knew it was not true, and yet everybody else was saying the same thing. When I would ask a support group, that I went to give a talk to, how many people here think in five years you're going to get worse? And everybody would raise their hands. Nobody uh, believed that it was possible to feel better and basically get well. So I really felt like I was isolated. I was really out on a limb here. I was the only one saying this. When I did a search uh, for a URL, that's what we use uh, in computers to be able to have an address. It's like real estate. I thought to myself, okay, what I'm really talking about is recovery, so let me see if Parkinson's recovery is available. I type that in, and yes, everything is available, .com, .net, .info, everything. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Nobody's even thought about the possibility that recovery is possible from Parkinson. so nobody owns that domain. So I thought, okay, well, here I am. So I bought up everything. I thought, well, I'm just going to do this. I may be the only one. I don't care. I think that it's possible for anyone to heal from this. So I bought the domains. I started to set up all the websites of research and information, and uh, and I, you know, I got running on that. What also happened was we heard about a workshop that was being given by somebody I didn't know anything about. His name was Dr. John Coleman, and all I knew was that he was a naturopath doctor who was uh, actually coming from Australia to the United States to give a presentation on what he was doing and that he had had Parkinson's and recovered completely. I thought, oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. Here's a man that's coming in my backyard, and he's going he's gonna to give a workshop and explain to people what he has done to be able to basically become symptom-free. So I I attended the workshop, I paid the money, Deborah and I both were there, and we sat through uh, three days of what were fascinating discussions of John's experience with Parkinson's and all the things that he had done to be able to get well. Now, what was remarkable to me about this experience is... Much of what John talked about had been precisely what I had begun writing about and thinking about and outlining about in my own work here in Olympia, Washington. I thought, this is absolutely incredible. I'm doing this independent from this man who lives halfway across the world. We obviously don't know each other, and yet we're coming up with many of the very same perspectives. I thought this is a signal that I need to pursue this aggressively. I need to commit full time to this work because if he's, discovering some of the very same things I'm discovering about Parkinson's and if he is evidence that in fact it is possible to fully recover, then that's a home run. That means that anybody can actually have full recover from the uh, symptoms of Parkinson's. So I have to say to everybody that was um, that was a, a significant impact on my life. I didn't know John before. We have become um, friends since and of course, for those of you that might have been uh, following Parkinson's recovery, I've interviewed John now three times, and in each of the interviews, he does a remarkable job of explaining uh, the trauma of his journey and his healing over the course of uh, three years. I also have had revelations uh, about the limitations of traditional scientific approaches to being able to know anything. Here's what I believe, and I I acknowledge that this is uh, a bit radical. I believe the way of doing science, as we know it, is going to be short lived. The world is moving too quickly now, and uh, the way of doing science, as we have been doing it over the last century or two, is cumbersome, it's slow, it's antiquated. Uh, The approach is that you supposedly have to hold everything else constant and isolate only one factor. And so you want to ask the question, does this one factor have a positive impact on the person's well-being? I just want to say, given what I know about specifically the symptoms of Parkinson's and the causes of Parkinson's, that is a silly way to go about investigating how people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's can get better, can get relief from their symptoms, and can heal. Let me explain exactly what I mean. Antioxidants will help bodies come back into balance, period. I'm just going to say period. It happens with everyone. I don't care what illness you have. So why does it make any sense to say, well, we're going to look at just one antioxidant and see if this one single isolated antioxidant is going to help a person with the symptoms of Parkinson's get better? I want to say that's absolutely silly. That's ridiculous. The fact is that if a person is deficient with that antioxidant and they take it, that person will feel better. Their body will say, thank you very much. That's exactly what I needed. Second of all, Parkinson's is a complex condition, There are multiple factors at play here. There is not just one single isolated factor. There are multiple factors. If those factors are not addressed, the body cannot come back into full balance. So if you introduce just one intervention, yes, you may have some modest effect but the person's not going to come back into full balance, and to all of those systems are back into full balance. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. The way science has been approached in the past is going to long be abandoned. It's not the way to do it. It's not the way to make progress. The fact is that if science continues as it is, everybody who has the symptoms of Parkinson's today will be dead before anything meaningful is revealed. And that's not because the people who are doing the work are not well-meaning, doing the work the way they think they ought to do it. That's all true. But the fact is that it's too slow. And so my work is to say, wait a minute, that's too slow, it's not going to work, it's not going to work for anybody who's alive today, let's get on track and let's do it now. I'm not going to wait eight years for this frigging thing to be published, I want it to be known to the world now. Now the next transformation that's occurred to me in the work that I've done just here in the last year or two has been greatly influenced by Deborah. And that is that our thought forms are a huge factor in creating all imbalanced conditions in the body. That is what we think has a huge impact on whether or not we're well or not. And I'll give you a very simple explanation. If I begin to have very negative thoughts about what's happening. So I'll give you an example. Here's a negative thought okay, I'm now talking about myself. Well, ah, nobody's going to really want to know anything about me. After all, I'm a stranger. Who's going to care? Nobody's going to listen to this radio program. Blah, 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 blah. All right, that has low frequency. That's not good for my body. Those are thought forms that are not conducive to being able to manifest anything, particularly health and wellness. If you switch those thought forms and say, look this is information that everybody needs to have the information is you can get well from whatever balance in your body is present in the moment it's possible you can transform this Feel the difference in the energy between what I just said and what I'm saying now. Can you feel the evolution here? Can you feel the power ensuing? Can you feel the difference that exists when suddenly I'm thinking in a positive sense, in a positive realm? It makes all the difference in the world. So if we are bemoaning and groaning and complaining to ourselves and our bodies about our life, well, Oh, gosh, this is a new symptom today. Too bad. That's going to be worse tomorrow, and I'll probably have four more terrible symptoms next week. Guess what? That's what's going to happen. You're going to get worse tomorrow. You probably will have four new symptoms the next week. We are able to manifest anything that we actually think about. So the work that I am excited about is transforming these thought forms. Now, what's come in to my acknowledgement and realization is that's not a laborious process. That does not take years. That does not take months. You, When you actually transform thoughts that are no longer in your best and highest goods, you can do that now. You can do it instantly. That is, I can declare that it is time for me to stop thinking that I am not enough, that I am a person who is defective, that I am a person that doesn't have anything to offer, I can literally release and remove and detach and eject and shield all of those thoughts from my physical presence. And I can then have restorative statements that essentially say to the world, I have everything to offer. What I write is the truth about Parkinson's. I can transform what I am doing so that I become a person who can make a true impact on the world rather than cowering in a corner thinking that, oh, I'm not enough. I think what I need to do is to get another degree. I've only got one undergraduate degree. I've got two master's degrees. I've got one Ph.D. degree. I've got certifications in healing and cranial psychotherapy. I think I need to go to school again to get another certificate. I need to get another degree. I need to, How about a second Ph.D. degree? What I'm saying is, no, no, I don't need that. What I need to do is simply to assert the fact that, that once I transform my thought forms, all healing is possible for myself as well as for everyone else. The short end of my story that I'm saying today is, I am working on transforming my own thinking, and in doing so, I know I am having a huge impact on all others who I touch I think it's possible for anyone to transform your thinking and your thought forms. You see, the reason illness happens is there is some seed thought that is at the foundation of that illness. Some thought, and I've explained to you some of the thoughts that have held me down in my life from being able to actualize all that I am we all have different thoughts that are holding us down, and oftentimes these thoughts are not conscious. So I want to be perfectly clear to you. When I was uh, uh, applying to Cornell and when I attended Cornell, I was not actually able to recognize the reason I am doing that is because I feel I am defective inside me. I, that was not conscious to me. I did not realize that's what that was all about. Now, the, the experience was, was, was quite outstanding. I loved attending Cornell, but just realized that's the reason I was there. I had other choices to make. The only reason I wanted to go to an Ivy League school is to somehow prove to myself that I was enough. And, of course, going there did not do the trick. I still was not enough. Going to a, a Big Ten school for my Ph.D. degree, that still was not enough. Uh, earning great grades, uh, being able to publish when I was in uh, uh, graduate school, and publishing a lot of articles since then. I could not publish enough articles to be able to prove to myself externally that I was enough. That had to come from deep inside. That had to come from being able to remove, detach, eject, and shield a seed thought that resided deep inside me that originated from who knows where, perhaps when I was born, perhaps when I was one, perhaps two, perhaps at the time when I moved to Georgia. It doesn't matter when it originated. Whenever it originated, the idea is I'm able to get that out of the cells of my body to release it and then to have a restorative sense of who I really am so that I can manifest who I am to the world. What I really want to do in my life is to make a difference. And as a professor, I was not making a difference to very many people. True, I was training people how to do academic research. That might have been a disservice, as I'm just explaining, because I don't think science will be done the way it is done now in the future. Everything is going to shift soon, and I mean everything. And so what I believe is that it is possible for me to transform myself and in so doing to transform everybody else my focus my passion has been on Parkinson's because that has profoundly affected my personal life my mother died because of complications from over medications as did my uncle just in the last year I'm thinking there's got to be a better way And so what I want to say to everyone is I am doing this because I am dedicated to transform the belief template that is false, which says that Parkinson's is degenerative and Parkinson's is progressive. What I am saying to you is Parkinson's is progressive, but progressive in a positive sense. If you have symptoms today, it is possible to see a lightening and an improvement so that As time passes, either hours or days or weeks or months, it is possible to see a relief of those symptoms and to see a recovery. That's what I believe in my heart. I also, to be very clear, know that there is no one answer. It does not exist, and it will never exist. There is no such thing as a cure that will solve anyone's problem. The reality is that the problems of the particular symptoms of Parkinson's are so complex that no single intervention, no one, quote, cure is going to fix what's going on. The neurological condition in the body is intricate. It's sensitive. And the fact of the matter is that it can be very affected by any imbalance in the body, whether it be as a result of toxin assaults or trauma, as I just described, or assaults to the head or other factors that actually influence why people have the symptoms of Parkinson's, including eating too much sugar and food that mucks up our digestive system. So in a nutshell, I now have a passion, and that passion is driven by a need to make a difference in the world, a need to be able to reach out and to say, let's now form a new community, a community of people who say to themselves, I am ready to do it differently. I am ready to say yes, there are other alternatives out there for me. I'm going to explore those. I'm going to now come back online. I'm going to come back on balance. That's what I've done in my life. The fact of the matter is, although I had a job that was a good job, I had status, I had a specific, you know, specifically a title of a of a doctor and as a professor, I really was not well. I really Uh, had all sorts of thought forms that were holding me back from from becoming all that I am. So that's why we have created Jumpstart to Wellness, which is an opportunity for people to converge together. And the Jumpstart that we're doing in 2009 is here just outside of Olympia, Washington, at the Little Creek Resort Hotel. We're going to do this experience on Monday, November the 30th, and Tuesday, December the 1st. We will be working with everybody who is in attendance, be able to identify what are the next steps you need to take in order to be able to return to full health and wellness. Is there a promise of that happening at Jumpstart? Of course not. That's not what this is about. We are not promising to people, oh, hey, folks, you come over here to Jumpstart and we're going to fix you. No way. No way is that going to happen. I'm not fixing anybody. Deborah's not fixing anybody. That's not what's happening. What's happening is we are providing some skills, some steps you can take for yourself. This is a self-help program. We are helping you be able to help yourself heal yourself. That's what's going on at Jumpstart to Wellness. And the other exciting piece that I want to make sure everybody knows about is People are coming to this event from all over the United States and Canada. The people who will be here will be a very special group of individuals who have the wisdom and the insight to know that there is a different way, that there are other choices, that there is a way for their body to come back into full balance. And so I invite you to join that community And be here for our Jump uh, Start to Wellness experience uh, here in Olympia. Uh, I invite you to talk with me, call me up, ask me any questions you might have about the experience. This uh, is not cost prohibitive. It's a two-for-one deal. So you sign up for a Jump Start to Wellness, and you can bring your spouse, a family member, a friend. You can bring another person. That person comes at no additional cost whatsoever. We got the cost as low as we can to be able to cover our costs. So the fact of the matter is, this is going to be, I think, an historic event because we're forming a live community. Many people who are coming, I've talked with extensively through email correspondence, but I actually don't know you personally. So I look forward to meeting many of you whose names I know and some of the stories I know, but I, we've never really connect uh, in person. What we will be doing is authoring no PowerPoint presentations. I want to emphasize that. You will not be sitting down in a chair and listening to me give you a PowerPoint presentation. I will also not be giving you any lectures. I will not be talking at you just as I am right now. This is not going to happen. This is your only chance to hear me rant and rave about who I am, what I'm doing, and what this is all about. I will have already published and put out The Road to Recovery. Those of you who are Parkinson's Recovery members will see that for free on the member website. I'll put that up as a download so you can get that and you can read that before you come. So you'll get a preview of all the work that I've done over the last couple of years. We've got some some incredible material in this book that I've just written up uh, here in the last uh, four or five months uh, that gives you great information about each of the therapies, what causes Parkinson's, what you can do about it. In other words, the the, the full whammy in terms of what, what needs to happen in order for you to recover. And of course, I've got a a nice body of material in there about what are the factors that really influence healing for people, what really helps people come back into full balance. There's also a a new uh, theory that I've developed about frequencies and how that really is the core of everything that's happening. And so what we're really doing at Jumpstart to Wellness is we are increasing, this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but we're increasing everybody's frequency. So uh, every uh, human being has a frequency that they resonate at. And so as we're able to um, shed thought forms that have low frequencies and uh, toxins that have low frequencies and uh, trauma that is uh, literally holding a person's frequency down uh, and that's uh, uh, energy is another word for frequency and as we elevate that up you'll be able to much much more quickly come back into full balance and harmony and return to full health and wellness. in other words it's really a question of frequency that's the core of all healing and what we're trying to do is Get as high a frequency as possible so that all of the blockages, all of the imbalances in the body can 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 be fully restored. So that's uh, that's a conceptual sense of what's going to happen at, at Jumpstart. The fact is that in all the fun that we're going to be having, we're actually elevating not only our own frequencies, but everybody else's frequencies. We're going to obviously have uh, a few guests that are going to be giving uh, demonstrations of the revolutionary work that they're doing. It's really breaking work. They're not going to be lecturing. At you or anybody else. They're going to literally demonstrate the work that they're doing to help get at some unconscious reasons why people may not be healing. The work Deborah and I will be doing with people will be to help you figure out what might be some places that you haven't looked at that may be factors that are causing the actual uh, symptoms that you're actually experiencing. And, of course, I need to also say, for those of you that haven't heard, we do have at Jumpstart to Wellness a free giveaway. I'm so proud of this. I actually have something to give away for free that I haven't already given away. And this is the secret that I discovered about what's reversing my hair color. I'm really totally jazzed and excited about this. Uh, Deborah actually heard this secret listening to the radio, and she gave it to me. I ran out and got it, began taking it, and lo and behold, within the first week, I could see a difference. My uh, several uh, patches of my hair had turned really all white. And uh, if you're able to come to Jumpstart, you'll see me live and in person, and you're going to see a pretty peppery hair. I mean, I've got a nice, dark uh, uh, hair that's coming in, which is totally exciting. So I'll give everybody the uh, the grand secret. We're going to do that through a fun type of experience, so you'll be able to discover for yourself what the secret actually is i am uh, I am thrilled about being able to sponsor and to host with Deborah Jumpstart uh, to Wellness uh, here in Olympia uh, on November the thirtieth and December first. Uh, it's a It's an honor, it's a pleasure. And I am thankful to many of you who are listening to this who've already registered uh, and who are coming from uh, all corners of the United States. Um, It will be uh, an experience of a lifetime for all of us to convene together and to work on our own healing it is possible uh, to be able to come back into full balance and harmony. I can certainly say that my body was out of balance um, at the end of my tenure as a professor, that I was having some medical problems, and I just want to say I have reversed all of that. I think anybody can reverse any imbalances that are in their body unless they've waited uh, so late that the body really doesn't have enough time to recover. So I invite everyone to come. Uh, who's interested in finding uh, ways that uh, they can actually uh, recover? For those of you who are bringing loved ones, uh, family members, spouses, I also want to be very clear. This is also about helping everyone in attendance. So the focus is, for those of you who are taking care or who are partners of people who have the symptoms of Parkinson's, this is as much about helping you be able to come back into full balance as it is with the person that you are with, the person who has Parkinson's. So the event is for both of you. I also want to say to everyone that I I know of several people here just over the last month. Whose uh, spouses or family members have died, who had uh the symptoms of parkinson's, and I want to say to you, uh, the door is open for you to come too uh obviously uh the uh the specific problem of Parkinson's is no longer in your face, that you've lost your loved one and you're grieving. But the work that we'll be doing will also be healing for you as well. So even if you're a person that does not have the symptoms of Parkinson's but has been affected by a family member, uh, please consider coming. And if you are a caretaker, again, a spouse, a family member, or a friend of a person who has the symptoms of Parkinson's and would like to be able to attend, but you can convince uh, the person who you're taking care of to come, come yourself. You know, you don't have to come with them. Come yourself. You need healing. You need to come back into full balance as much as the person you're taking care of. Believe me, the role of people who are not well is to take the energy of the people who are taking care of them. So to be able to recharge your batteries, you are most welcome and invited to come to our experience. It is for one and all who actually converge together at that time of 9 o'clock on November 30th, here just outside of Olympia at the Little Creek Resort Hotel and Casino. There will also be a chance for you to go to the casino if you'd like, which is, of course, great fun. And uh, we'll have a fun experience everybody can participate in to see who can win the most money by using their own knowing or channeling. We'll give you some secrets about how you can figure out what machine is going to pop when you go into the uh, casino, something that uh, Deborah discovered from her mentor, uh, uh, Kim Sear. So get ready to have a lot of fun. We're going to, of course, do some serious work. But the fact is that the way to come back into balance is to enjoy yourself, have fun, and uh, to basically realize that anything, anything, anything is possible. It's been a true joy and pleasure uh, for me to talk about my experience, my life, uh, what's happened to me. I wanted everybody uh, who had an opportunity uh, to come to Jumpstart to Wellness to know a little bit more about who I am, where I come from, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I hope you have a chance to actually listen to this. Feel free to give me a call about Jumpstart or email me. That will be Robert at recovery dot com. You can connect through the main website. You can always get to the main website by simply in a search engine uh, typing in the word Parkinsons and then separately the word recovery. We come up as the uh, first first uh, entry on any search engine. Just click on that, and you'll be able to contact me through there. If you forget the email address. Uh, call, email, um, we want to converge together all who need to be here for Jump Start to Wellness. It has been a huge pleasure to visit with you today on my radio program. Uh, I'm going to have an exciting guest uh, for you next Thursday, 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific time. Many blessings to you all, and I look forward to seeing you at Jump Start to Wellness. So this is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and I have been interviewing Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. Area code 250, you are on the air. Hello. 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 It's Marilyn calling from Canada, Robert. Well, hello, Marilyn. It's nice to hear from you. I'm so excited now. I'm doubly excited. I'm feeling better this morning just listening to you, and I love your sense of humor. It's just perfect. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) I can't wait to get down there. (laughs) Well, we plan to have a lot of fun, that's for sure. Good. I can hear it in your voice so I'll I'll, I'll hang up so somebody else can get you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, thank you. Bye. So this has been Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. No that. You are on the road to recovery. Good day.